0: Let's talk about the real world for a moment, shall we? Where you're not some wonderful lone
1: wolf hero, but you're part of a team and you play your position because that's what America is, Mr. Jeffries. It's one big team. Now, this might be difficult for you to grasp, but I am a patriot, and a patriot is one who makes the right moral choice. Sometimes it takes a strong man to make that choice. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also 21st century stcenturywirecom And uh, before the break, uh, we were talking about a number of issues, uh, lockdowns. Uh, we're talking about the uh, the new vaccine potential mandate coming in in some of these countries. And we were hinting about the U.S. elections. And so we're going to get a little bit deeper into that in this segment. And uh, we have a special guest joining us this week. Uh, He's joining us on the live link from the state of Florida uh, in the U.S. His name is Tim Canova, former congressional candidate, U.S. congressional candidate. And uh, Tim has had personal experience with the issue of election integrity and also the issue of election fraud, in fact. And uh, he's joining us now is hopefully going to share some of his uh, experience and wisdom in this in this area here on the Sunday wire this week. Uh, thank you for joining us, Tim.
2: Thank you, Patrick, for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Yeah, know. it's great. We're we're really uh, looking forward to this conversation, Tim, because you know I've been following your campaign. You've been campaigning heavily uh, in the last couple of years uh, because of what happened to you uh, in the congressional uh, election in Florida against. Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was a big power broker within the Democratic Party, uh, at least at the time she was, uh, before the uh, I guess the email leaks, the Podesta leaks, and the other things that came out at the time. But just just give us a quick synopsis, Tim, of those who might not be familiar with your situation and you know how that unfolded, and you know what you managed to get in terms of redress or not uh, after challenging the the election result there. What you discovered. Uh, just walk us through how that, that story began in your campaign.
2: Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, I had never been a political candidate before. I had worked on Capitol Hill many years ago for a couple of years for a the um, U.S. senator who uh, passed away some years ago. His name was Paul Songus. He was a Democrat from Massachusetts. Uh, but uh, I'm a lawyer and I've been a law professor for more than 20 years and was very politically engaged on a number of issues. My research uh, was skewed towards central banking and the Federal Reserve, international trade, international financial issues. And I was very critical of the Trans-Pacific Partnership proposal that the Obama administration was putting forward. And in 2015, I got involved with the Citizens Trade Campaign, uh, trying to advocate against the TPP uh, for the way that it would uh, undermine national sovereignty And empower large multinational corporations and that got me um got all of us uh looking at our local members of congress and we tried to meet with debbie wasserman schultz our congresswoman uh to no avail she ended up being the only um member of florida's uh house delegation on the democratic side to vote to fast track the tpp and folks wanted to start challenging her in a primary Uh, it's a heavily gerrymandered district which means uh, it's skewed towards one side, and I think it's about 40% Democrat, 30% Independent, and about 20%, 25% Repu- uh, uh, Republican. So we tried to find a Democrat who would challenge her, uh, some labor folks and environmentalists. Uh, we uh, were behind this effort with me, uh, and we discovered she had taken $330,000 in campaign donations from big corporations that wanted the TPP. And then as we st- Uh, dug a bit deeper. We saw she'd been taking millions of dollars from big Wall Street banks, big pharma, you name it, any big corporate interest you could imagine. Uh, And she had gotten away with it for many years without challenge because it it is a heavily Democratic district. Nobody would challenge her in a primary, and the Republicans never stood a chance in the general election. Um, The long and short of it is I got got talked into doing this. Um, I had been a Bernie Sanders supporter, and as we saw how Wasserman Schultz was uh, leading the Democratic National Committee, the DNC at the time, to try to stop Sanders. It, it gave me some extra motivation. I uh, jumped in in early 2016, and the campaign immediately went viral. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just sort of cut to the chase and and give you the how it turned out. We, we raised almost $4 million in small donations online. Over 200,000 uh, people across the country donated an average of $17 each. And we took that money and plowed it right back into the district. We had four field offices in the district, which is really unheard of. Uh, We had an enormous grassroots ground game knocking on 12,000 doors a week. And um, meanwhile, Wasserman Schultz was just sinking. She, She was disgraced that summer when WikiLeaks disclosed those DNC emails. Wasserman Schultz had to step down as chair of the Democratic National Committee at the convention itself. And our campaign was surging. Our internal numbers based on, again, 12,000 door knocks a week, much greater sample size than any uh, of these polls where pollsters call 600 people on the phone. And uh, anyway, our numbers showed us crushing her. Our experience on the ground was was similar. And uh, when the polls closed on election night, uh, within an hour, they declared her the victor by 13 percentage points. And I should mention that the day before the election, a local NBC television station had up on their website a preview of the next day's elections with all of the elections zeroed out since no, no votes had actually been counted yet. No ballots had been counted. But our race had Wasserman Schultz beating me by about 13 percentage points. And, you know, we called up and said, what's going on? And they took it right down. And that same, you know, all the stations have a direct line, so to speak, to the supervisor's office and um, the electronic voting system. Uh, so when, uh, when we lost by 13 points, it seemed very fishy for a number of reasons. And a bunch of election experts around the country started contacting me and telling me they were analyzing the numbers precinct by precinct and overall votes. And they, um, concluded that, uh, the, the numbers, uh, the results were mathematically implausible to say the least. Um, so, uh, I put in a public records request to inspect the paper ballots and to, inspect what's called the digital scanned images, because when you vote here in Florida and in much of the U.S., uh, you vote on paper ballots, but they're not counted by hand in public. The paper ballots are put through a scanning machine. The scanning machine can take a digital image, and it tabulates the vote when it takes the image, or when you put it through the scanning, it tabulates the vote. The problem is these scanning machines... Uh, you can't look at the software; they're proprietary, they're the private property and trade secrets of shadowy companies like Dominion that we're seeing now in Michigan and Wisconsin and half a dozen or more battleground states in the presidential election. Uh, the, the machines here in Florida are made by a company called ES&S Election Systems and Software, equally shadowy, uh, owned by a private equity firm in Omaha, Nebraska, and you know it's very difficult to learn much more beyond that because it's not a publicly held corporation uh so we put in this public records request the supervisor immediately said they never took digital scanned images which seemed very fishy uh but we were undeterred and we said okay we'll take a look at the paper ballots please uh we thought we would look in about a dozen key precincts out of 200 precincts here if they matched up the the vote is verified and uh, uh, you know i would have just drop the whole thing. Um, if they don't match up, we have a problem. Uh, well, um, these public records requests, um, uh, we have every right under law to see the, these materials. And yet the supervisor stonewalled us for half a year. Uh, I finally, uh, after three formal requests with through lawyers and, and experts, I finally filed, um, a lawsuit and that Suit was filed in um, June of 2017, so almost a year after um, the primary election. And um, while the lawsuit was pending, the Supervisor of Elections um, at the time, Brenda Snipes, was her name, uh, ordered the destruction of every ballot that had been cast in Broward County. Um, and that is; um, those are major legal violations under state and federal law. Uh, including felonies punishable by up to five years in prison, she didn't just destroy the ballots. She concealed that fact from me, my lawyers, and the court for another almost three months. Uh, we took her deposition, sworn deposition in the in the public records case that you know my lawsuit, uh, so sworn videotaped deposition in which she admitted to the ballot destruction. The judge um, granted me summary judgment, which essentially opened the door to allow us to receive our attorney's fees, but nothing else. Um, and, uh, uh, at the end of the day, the supervisor claimed, Oh, those digital scanned images, we said we didn't have, we do have. So you couldn't believe anything coming out of their mouths at that point. Uh, when the judge ruled for us, he issued a 10 page order, which essentially found her the culpable, uh, of violating all of these state and federal criminal statutes we were hoping there'd be criminal prosecutions at that point. And, uh, we had a Republican governor and, and, uh, now I'm talking about here in Broward County, this was democratic party, um, fraud that was going on election rigging. The Republican governor seemed to have no interest in, um, prosecuting, um, even starting an investigation would have been an open and shut investigation. Like I said, we had all the evidence that they actually destroyed the ballots. And, um, I was told that the governor didn't want to get involved because he was running for the U.S. Senate and he was afraid that, um, of, of doing something uh, uh, that would rock the boat. Brenda Snipes was an African-American woman um, of advanced years. Of course, I thought, why not just fire her, investigate her and, and appoint, if you're really concerned about race or gender, just appoint another African-American female to replace her. But let's get on to the business of cleaning up this election swamp. Uh, well, that didn't happen. We did, my lawyer spoke with the acting U.S. Attorney, uh, Benjamin Greenberg, for almost two hours. Um, Greenberg seemed very excited about prosecuting uh, when I spoke to him on the phone at that point. Uh, after all, again, an open and shut case. But Greenberg went up to Washington, D.C. for a week of meetings at the Justice Department, including with Rod Rosenstein, the Deputy Attorney General, who um, had already appointed uh, Robert Mueller to investigate. The Trump administration, um, the Trump campaign for alleged collusion with Russia Uh, and uh, Greenberg came back to Florida after a week of meetings at the Justice Department and suddenly uh, no investigation. So there's never been a prosecution here. Um, I ran again in 2018 as an independent, um, had a a real spirited campaign. I thought uh, as an independent, we'd have a decent chance to win a three way race uh, uh, given the demographics of this district and Wasserman Schultz's continuing unpopularity. Uh, There had been a Republican news outlet that published a report that there was a poll that was being suppressed that showed Wasserman Schultz and and myself tied at 34% each in a dead heat, with the Republican back at 13% and about 18% undecided. So we thought we had a good chance in that home stretch, and we were certainly gaining a lot of momentum at the end. Um, The polls closed. She was declared the victor and I was pinned down at a, uh, very unlikely low percentage, 5%, they said. And what was striking about it, it wasn't just 5% of the overall vote. It was 5% for every single demographic group, black, white, Hispanic, male, female, Republican, Democrat, independent, and every precinct, regardless of size or location in the district. Um, one of the nation's leading, uh, uh, scientists in, in mathematical science or computational science, I guess you would call it, uh, Dr. David Bader, said the results were uh, as unlikely as winning the lottery every day for a year. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I made a lot of noise. I was arguing that if they got away with this, um, they would rig the primaries again in two, 2020 against Sanders. I should say that those who studied this, um, my both of my elections statistically, said that they could only be explained by a manipulation of the software, and it would only take manipulating a few lines of the source code to get the um, the results uh, that we saw. And they had similar uh, analysis and charts or graphs of um, the election results in many primaries in which Sanders somehow lost to Hillary Clinton when he was ahead in the polls and the exit polls. Um, and sure enough, it certainly seems like they did it to Sanders again in 2020 with Joe Biden In third and fourth place in many polls. uh, And uh, somehow Biden won 10 out of the 14 Super Tuesday states, and and, and that was really the end of that primary um, contest um, at that point. And now, of course, um, major concerns that uh, the machines were manipulated in the state of Michigan, uh, maybe Wisconsin, and maybe half a dozen other battleground states where they used the Dominion voting system. Um, I spoke to my experts um, just to you know, verify. I said, we have ESNS system here, not Dominion. And they said, doesn't matter. They have the same functionality, um, the same kind of fractionalized voting tabulation system that could be manipulated um, to engineer any election result. They could cap any candidate at any percent they want, whether it's 43% or 5%.
1: What you're talking about very similar to uh, what they uncovered as well with with uh, Wall Street and uh, embezzling from banks by taking fractions of pennies but doing that transaction millions of times exactly. and then and then shipping that money off to some account in the Cayman Islands or something like that. So 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 knowing what you know and and also the experience you've had is is unbelievable because you had the evidence and they, they haven't prosecuted. Is, so what's going on, Tim? Is there a bipartisan open secret or something with regards to election fraud where both, both sides of the establishment don't want to go there because each side wants to reserve that as a, as, for themselves it, as and when they need it?
2: I think that's a very good way to characterize it, and it's the conclusion I reached a while ago. Uh, my lawyer, um, a Republican, uh, because, of course, when I had an election lawyer, uh, when I needed one running against the head of the DNC, I couldn't find a, a Democrat election lawyer who I could trust and who wasn't conflicted. Out, uh, my Republican election lawyer was well connected, and I said to him, "We've got all the evidence. Uh, the Republicans for years have been complaining about Brenda Snipes, Broward County voter fraud. We have her, you know, ready. I mean, we've done all the legwork." Uh, Why don't they prosecute? I don't understand it. And he didn't understand it. And he got back to me a couple of weeks later and told me they were not going to lift a finger to help me because they would rather have Debbie Wasserman Schultz than me in Congress. So this is the Republican establishment. And he said it was because they have the same friends as Debbie. Friends? What do you mean? Well, the corporate lobbyists and political consultants that represent the huge corporate interests that dominate Florida politics, both uh, and, and these corporate interests, contribute, um, tens of millions of dollars, actually over the course of the last 20 or 30 years, hundreds of millions of dollars to both parties. Uh, the same corporate interests will contribute heavily to both parties. So they, they own both parties in many ways. Uh, it, there seems to be evidence that, um, the reason Hillary Clinton did not contest, um, in 2016 in some key states where it was close, like Wisconsin, I believe, was that the, if they had done a real recount, it would have come out that the Democrats were rigging machines in many counties in in that state. Uh, So I don't know. Does this happen on a county by county basis around the country? Is it only in key elections? Nobody really knows the answers to these questions. The United States is one of the only countries that calls itself a democracy that has not banned these electronic voting machines. I I know I point to Britain many times. I, uh, I, I saw photographs uh, of, uh, ballots being counted both, uh, for the Brexit vote and then more recent, uh, uh, elections for parliament. And in those photographs, you see people sitting at a counting table and there's a, you know, somebody representing labor, somebody, the Tories, somebody the liberal party, and, uh, the ballot is passed, uh, down the table and each, each counter marks their, uh, sheet of, and, and then it's time for the next ballot. And while it's labor intensive, and might take some time. It's completely transparent and verifiable. And in this country, uh, our system is nowhere near anything like that. And then there's, you know, the question of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, he is not, you could say, beloved by even the Republican establishment. And um, uh, did Trump and his team not see this coming? I have a hard time believing that. Um, They had their eyes on Broward County, uh, not just in my race uh, and what happened to me in 2016 and 18, but also the race for governor and U.S. senator in Florida also both crash landed in Broward County. Um, So they've had time to prepare uh, for this. There's lots of speculation that um, they have a lot of the evidence they need um, of the computer programs uh, that maybe they've even seize the servers, which amazingly enough uh, for dominion are overseas. Uh, so, uh, I think this presidential election is far from over, even though the American news media says, uh, has said from, uh, really, uh, almost day one that, uh, uh Trump lost and, and Biden won, but there's a full month before the electoral college, um, essentially, uh, uh, The the, the members of the Electoral College are selected. Uh, So during that month, I imagine there'll be plenty of uh, court challenges and who knows, maybe going right up to the Supreme Court.
1: I I think the only person I have seen in America, at least in in government, uh, who's made this an issue was probably Tulsi Gabbard, who put forward a piece of legislation securing America's elections. And and, yeah. yeah, go ahead.
2: No, that's right. Um, uh, there are a few others I was surprised to learn recently. Um, Elizabeth Warren, Amy Klobuchar, Ron Wyden, all Democratic senators who apparently had written um, letters to the um, election authorities um, asking for investigation of Dominion. And that, that was uh, that happened a couple of years ago that those senators weighed in and were worried about Dominion. Now they're they're awfully quiet about Dominion uh, since. Um, uh Making us think of it now could endanger the purported uh, Joe Biden win.
1: And uh, the other thing is the, the, the predicate, if you will, uh, for the, the 2020 election was uh, mail-in ballots were necessary because of the pandemic. And and it's never happened in history. This is unprecedented that you would just flood uh, residents with, with mail-in ballots. And a lot of critics said ahead of time that, you know, this, this really opens things up to potential fraud. Uh, and the system hasn't had to deal with that or doesn't isn't equipped to deal with that in also removing signature verifications mm-hmm. in Georgia and, I believe, Pennsylvania. There were uh, right. lots of lawsuits that were filed by uh, Democrat uh, activist groups and PACs. Before I think three hundred lawsuits in total to to remove the uh, the the checks and verification check, checks for for postal votes and mail in ballots and here and lo and behold that narrative was set up ahead of time we had the same problem in the UK uh, with the last election as well and a few key uh, regions uh, were there there was a problem with the mail in vote and a lot mm-hmm. of people pointed to that as a you know potential swing problem that might have swung the election in favor of the Tories, for instance. But so, so, so I mean, from that point of view, um, what are your thoughts about this kind of using COVID as the kind of uh, the justification for creating a situation that really leaves the whole electoral process up to incredible risk of fraud? Uh,
2: it's, it's a fraudulent argument they made that COVID justified any of this. Uh, you know, for weeks now, many weeks, um, the shutdowns kind of slowly started to be lifted. People are going to grocery stores and car washes and you name it, wearing their masks and social distancing. But going to um, vote in person is somehow too dangerous for them to do. Uh, So the situation here is that these mail-in ballots in the past, uh, those who requested mail-in ballots got mail-in ballots. But here, they they sort of shifted it so that mail-in ballots were just mailed out en masse to, in some states, um, even to folks who were not requesting it. Uh, and then there are reports that uh, on election night, uh, when people kind of went to sleep at two or three in the morning, I think Trump had spoken at around two in the morning and he had warned Uh, watch out for uh, 4 a.m. dumps of ballots. And then we wake up and there were reports that at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning in some of these key states, there were major dumps and reports that, I think, one, I read that in Michigan, 138,000 mail-in ballots were uh, flooded into the system and they were, like, all Biden votes. Like, I mean, 100% Biden votes. And what's even more, or as suspicious, you could say, is that, Not just that there were no votes for Donald Trump, but these ballots, people voted for Joe Biden, but they didn't bother voting for United States Senate or congressional races or governor races. None of the down ballots uh, uh, races uh, were votes cast. So there's so so many reasons to be suspicious of this, and there needs to be major investigations, and the courts need to do their job and to determine uh, the facts of what happened. Uh, and I, I uh, would imagine that is where where things are heading this this coming week in many ways.
1: And uh, so you have the media is really on a full court press right now in the U.S. Uh, the New York Times said uh, this is the safest, most secure election in history. All these uh, uh, election officials nationwide agree. This it sounds like the intelligence community's assessment of RussiaGate. Everyone agrees yeah. that this was the <laughs> exactly. securest. Election, so that that's all going on, and there's this real push to basically put put down on Twitter, on on social media, put down any questions or bring up the issue of election fraud, saying it's not true. They're even censoring the president uh, on this issue, and at the same time, they're really pushing this idea of Joe Biden's the the next president, and why doesn't Donald Trump concede and and help to facilitate the peaceful transition? Of yeah. power, you know. What are your thoughts on on what's happening right now?
2: Uh, well, the the media and uh, the New York Times they had that banner headline, I think, on Wednesday uh, uh, this past week, saying uh, no election official in the country says there was any fraud whatsoever. Uh, I, I guess they forgot to to interview the chairman of the Federal Election Commission, who said that there was significant fraud all over the place and it's an illegitimate election. Um, but what we see the media sort of in unison uh, is very reminiscent of. Uh, what we've seen for four years, uh, where uh, they were convinced and, and, and tried their best to convince the entire American population that uh, the Russians had colluded with the Trump campaign in 2016. Uh, they uh, were in unison that Trump was cooked on uh, in, uh, the impeachment over a, a phone call to, to a Ukrainian president. Uh, and they were wrong in all of that. Uh, So you've got to ask what is going on with the media. Uh, um, You've got five huge corporate conglomerates that now own 90 percent of the TV, radio, cable, broadcast and print media in this country as a result of deregulation acts signed way back in the 1990s by Bill Clinton when he was president and by a complete lack of antitrust enforcement uh, during the uh, Bush years and the Obama years. Uh, so, it doesn't take that much coordination, perhaps, for five major or six major conglomerates um, to to weigh in, and they they might all have their own uh, reasons uh, that they want Trump out of office, and could be ties to big pharma, Wall Street, the intelligent parts of the intelligence community, um, and we see the same pattern in big tech, social media, with the censorship that you've been mentioning, where they're actually censoring. The tweets of of, uh, President Trump and deplatforming others who um, dare to question, and I should say, not just question their narrative on the election, but to also question their narrative on the pandemic as well. This has been going on all year. Um, If you um, wanted to have a discussion about um, masks, uh, what's the science behind the masks? Uh, There's some science that suggests it doesn't help whatsoever, and maybe it makes things worse. There's science that suggests that. Can we not have that discussion? Nope, not allowed to have that discussion. Can we have a discussion about hydroxychloroquine and other therapeutics? No. Uh, Donald Trump mentioned it, so it's got to be fake. It's got to be, you know, part of his nefarious agenda to kill everybody. Um, and it's been this way on the, the shutdowns, on vaccines. Um, so, you know, the First Amendment that guarantees freedom of speech and freedom of the press is the first amendment. It's not the second or the fourth or the 10th. It's the first amendment. It, it's it's first for a reason that you need a marketplace of ideas and marketplace for information to have a real democracy uh, where citizens are involved in asking questions and reasoning through the issues and the candidates together. And th- this is a major impediment to democracy. So, Here we are in 2020 where, and I should say it's not just 2020, uh, we started to see this in in recent years, it doesn't look like much of a democracy at all. There's very little confidence and trust in the election results, and it's not just this election, it's been this way for quite a while now, and it gets worse each election cycle. And um, there's not much in the way of free speech and vibrant public debate on all kinds of issues. So this is a country that looks much more like an authoritarian system, uh, with a um, uh, where politics is really um, manufactured and um, handed down with very limited choices for the population.
1: So, so that's I mean, t- take take the partisan argument away, and. You just think the fact that look at the results of the election, whether you think there was uh, election fraud or not, and uh, Joe Biden had hundreds of thousands of votes fed through scanner machines or not, you have a divided country. You definitely don't have a a, a clear mandate either way for either party. It's, It's more or less split down the middle. So we just went through four years of half the country has been convinced by the media, who you just mentioned, and for the reasons you've just mentioned, that, that the Russians somehow installed the president into the White House, which disenfranchises everybody who voted for Trump in mm-hmm. 2016. And now you have a potential situation after 2020 where you have half the country that has lost faith and doesn't believe that the elections in the United States are free and fair. And, you know, I, I, you don't have to be a, a, a scholar to look back in history to see where that could lead uh in the in the very near future if if that's a, indeed what happens therefore whether you're a democrat or republican you'd think that it would be in everyone's best interest to get to the bottom of what happened in this election and yeah. but i don't see that happening that's the problem the dangerous problem I, I see tim
2: yeah i i think it is a dangerous problem um you know i 72 million Americans, um, were told, voted for Trump this time around, um, 10 million more than last time in 2016. And 70 uh, percent of those who voted for Trump, according to at least one public opinion survey that's being re- widely reported, 70 percent of them uh, believe the election had been stolen from them. And yet you don't see major or any kind of rioting from that side. They're talking about using the courts and the rule of law to determine what happened um, and doing that now um, before um, anyone concedes uh, that Joe Biden is, is the president-elect legitimately. Uh, but it'll be interesting to watch how things go in the coming days. If, uh, as I suspect, there's a chance could happen that uh, Donald Trump could still win this election, uh, will there be violence in the streets? Are those big, powerful interests that are behind the campaigns against Trump, uh, that are behind the media and the election, um, voting, uh, 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 um, machine industry, um, the billionaires even that are behind all of this. Um, do they want harmony or, or, or are they going to be pushing for almost like a civil war and, and civil unrest in the streets? Uh, that, that all has yet to be determined. And, you know, where, um, the, the military and the National Guard is on all of this. Um, there's a chain of command. Uh, so there's lots of issues that are uh, in play. I, I don't think I've ever lived through a time of more uncertainty than right now.
1: Uh, just before we uh, we go to the uh, the end of the segment, uh, Basil Valentine, uh, do you have anything you want to ask uh, Tim Canova on, on this issue?
0: Hi, Tim. Uh, good to be with you. I noticed you mentioned the name Paul Songus there. Uh, Did you work for his campaign? I I always rather liked him. He was a very different breed of
2: Democrat from the ones around today. Um, I worked on his legislative staff in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. So I wasn't involved in his political campaigns. Uh, Mostly it was acting as a legislative assistant and advising on a number of policy issues, including economic uh, regulatory types of issues, issues. There was a whole bunch of deregulation bills that were always coming up during that period of time. He ran for president in 1992 in the Democratic primary. And I think he had won the New Hampshire primary, which New Hampshire is a state right next to Massachusetts. So it wasn't that much of a surprise, but he got a big boost. And um, for a while, it seemed like a real race between him and Bill Clinton. And I think Jerry Brown was running from California. Um, And uh, Paul was a nice, nice man, a decent guy. Uh, He unfortunately passed away from, uh, I think it was complications from, um, a, a type of cancer. His, his widow, Nikki, who was always a very, uh, um, smart, uh, woman, a uh, very nice woman. She, she ran and, and won his old congressional seat from before he was a, a Senator. She served in Congress for a number of terms. And I think, uh, re- retired from, from that job just, a, a, a few years ago, not many years ago.
0: Yes, as you say, he was a a nice guy. Uh, That's probably why he didn't get anywhere uh, in the presidency. Um, The list of, you know, really good candidates who could have gone a long way in presidential elections, I'm sure you know, ignore, you know, includes people like Dennis Kucinich on uh, the Democrat side and Ron Paul on the Republican side, both of whom I think were shafted for want of a better expression, both at the ballot box, but before that even got to the ballot box by the media who refused to acknowledge them as top tier candidates. So that the that you know the way that that the American system is rigged is in the first instance, before any vote has been cast, it's by who the media determines to be in vote commas, serious candidates. Yes. Uh, and thereafter should, by any chance, like Ron Paul did, um, those uh, candidates that the corporate media ignore actually make it, you know, to the debate stage and then to the primaries themselves, mm-hmm. then, of course, the, um, the jiggery-pokery has to come into play. I mean, as you said, I, I was enormously suspicious of what went on this year. On Super Tuesday, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Bernie was cruising to victory. Yes. And Biden's campaign was on a life support machine, uh, which he appeared to be on himself as well. You know, and (laughs) And in in
2: in addition to a life support machine, perhaps a rigged electronic voting machine.
0: North Carolina went his way. And then, you know, the entire Democratic field folded and chucked their cards in. With him. Yeah. Uh, But still wasn't enough to put him in in front in any, you know, meaningful, genuine poll. Yeah. And then you say he won 12 out of 14 on Super Tuesday from nowhere and it was all over. And it's very, very strange.
2: Yeah. Put it that way. Very strange. Um, I would like to add just one name in uh, you you named a number of really great um, candidates in Ron Paul and Dennis Kucinich. There was also Paul Wellstone, a, a fantastic U.S. senator who had defied the Bush administration in opposing the Iraq war at a time when Wellstone was up for reelection and started surging in the polls until he um, died in a, a um, an unfortunate small plane crash with his wife and daughter in the plane as well. Um, so there's all kinds of um, crossroads we've seen in American politics, and um, they always seem to... Um, prevent a popular, uh, people's kind of a candidate from emerging.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We're still scratching our head about what happened last super Tuesday. I just still can't work that, that one out, but now it makes more sense looking at what we've just witnessed in the, in the last couple of weeks. It yeah. makes perfect sense in fact, but, uh, so, so anyway, last, last words, Tim, I mean, where do we stand right now here Um, I've never seen any deep look like we're seeing right now at uh, companies like Dominion, for instance, at the technology, looking at the software, uh, the supposed glitches, uh, people auditing the source code right now. There's tons of people out there independently looking at this. There's right. I've never seen an effort like this, even though it's being suppressed by the mainstream media. I've never seen it. This developed like people really looking at this issue in a serious way like we've never have before. Do you think there's a chance that some resolution, some redress might come out of this situation? Do they have enough time legally? Uh, just your final thoughts on where things stand right now with the legal challenges that uh, the, the White House is is making?
2: I, I think there is um, ample time uh, for the legal challenges to election results to go forward in any state where there's been major irregularities, whether it's the flood of the absentee ballots, the, the mail-in ballots without verification, or uh, any state that had a Dominion voting system at this point. I do think there's ample time. Um, I, I find it exciting. And I'm hopeful that for the first time, uh, these electronic voting systems are coming under, um, major scrutiny. And yes, it's true. The media will ignore that completely and downplay it. And I think it's shameful that Democrats, uh, are downplaying it. Uh, you know, if it were reversed and Donald Trump was, uh, the winner and Joe Biden was in second place. And there was evidence that, uh, electronic voting machines had manipulated the vote for Trump. You could bet the, the Democrats would be up on their, uh, high horses complaining about it. Uh, but you know, because the outcome is, uh, the way it is right now, where how they think it is, um, they're circling the wagons and saying, no, it's impossible to rig these elections. And, and it, it, you know, the hypocrisy is amazing. They spent four years saying that our elections were vulnerable to hacking from Russia. And now suddenly they're the most perfect secure election system. Uh, you know, when I, uh over 4 years over a 4 year period i've been trying to wake people up to, to uh, these facts and um most people want to just sort of believe that the election system is secure the way they would want to believe in santa claus i suppose um and i had um the will but not the means uh you could say um to to change things uh, i think donald trump has both the will and the means Uh, I I don't think he's about to give up and nor should he at this point. There are too many people who voted for him, who um, he owes it uh, to them to see this through. And um, I I think uh, we could be in for quite a lot of um, startling developments between now and well in the next few weeks. And don't forget that in in 2000, Al Gore was proclaimed the winner. And for something like um, more than 30 days, people were referring to him as the president elect and he never became president.
1: Yeah. Thirty thirty seven days and not, not far from where you are, either. Uh, right. That controversy went down. Is, yeah. is there still any shadow from that, uh, Tim, in Florida from the 2000 election? Or, you know, what are people's feelings about 2000?
2: Well, it, it does seem very far in the past. And there are a lot of voters who, you know, were, um, uh, you know, not very old. Uh, they were young children, you could say, when when that happened. So, there's not a lot of memory of it. It's an interesting watershed election, I think, because it discredited paper ballots um, to such Mm. a degree. And the federal government came in with multi billion dollar packages to subsidize the um, growth of the uh, electronic voting machine industry. And I I believe they really reached the wrong conclusions um, about paper ballots when that happened. I suppose the, the right conclusion would be to not design paper ballots where you've got to punch. Um, a hole through a piece of paper. Uh, it, it's, it, you don't have to go fr- from that all the way to having electronic voting machines that uh, have proprietary software that you can't inspect, and they have back doors where hackers can get in from anywhere in the world.
1: Yeah, no, that's so important that you point that out, that the Florida controversy was the pretext for the, the massive rollout of, of electronic voting systems, ironically, or not, depending on which... Uh, yeah. But, um Tim, Tim, fantastic to hear from you and and to get some of the details of you know your your case and your battle there with the uh, Democratic Party machine in in Broward County, Florida. And uh, yeah, and we just want to thank you for you know all your efforts on this front and continuing efforts uh, as well to to raise awareness on this important issue.
2: Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate being with you and Wish you and your listeners um, all the best. I know these are tough times and confusing times in Britain and elsewhere. I'm certainly hoping these uh, shutdowns um, uh, end pretty soon and that there will really be a return to some kind of uh, nor- normal life um, as we uh, uh, maybe could define it pre-pandemic. So yes. I wish wish you all the best and thank you for your interest and and for having me on.
1: No, thank you very much. There he he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Tim Canova. If you go to our show page, we've linked to his uh, Twitter feed. Uh, up at 21st Century Wire So follow Tim uh, on on uh, social media And you'll see a lot of interesting posts And stuff that he's doing uh, So I do recommend that heavily Look, we're going to take a short break And come back for a final segment of Overdrive I'm here with Basil Valentine This is the Sunday Wire Stick around, we'll be right back
2: Lord,